hear from you um, by the power of your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Um, we are going to be talking about the parting of the Red Sea um, and what it has to do with Easter. <laughs> um, the, uh, the series we're working our way through is um, Easter in the Old Testament. It's, uh, um, we're, we're looking at everything in the Old Testament that points forward to the coming of Jesus. And, and um, I, I kind of wrestled with this verse in the right way to, to, to or this section of, of Scripture, in the right way to dis, dis, display the idea. And I, I decided to use a movie clip, which I don't do very often. Um, and so we get to watch TV for about five minutes today. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> TV! Um, <laughs> did anybody see the movie Gravity? Like two of us, really? Um, I'm going to quickly explain. Gravity is a, is a film about astronauts. Um, I, I sat down with my wife and watched it a couple weeks ago. She said, all right, here are the movie options, and they were a drama, a girly drama, or the movie about astronauts. And so we watched that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're throwing me off track, hon. Um, and so we watched this movie about astronauts, and what happens in the story is um, you have the space shuttle, which, which no longer exists, I guess, so it's, you know, uh, but the space shuttle is up, up in, in orbit, and they're doing work on the Hubble. And um, a satellite blows up in lower orbit, is, is destroyed, and the debris comes flying out into the atmosphere. And that debris, um, while they're out there working on, on the satellite, the debris hits the space shuttle and destroys it. And strands uh, George Clooney and Sandra Bullock, yeah, in, in space. And so, like... If you're an astronaut and you're hanging above, you know, like 10 miles above the Earth's surface, and all of a sudden your ride is gone, right? <laughs> Anybody ever have your car break down while you're on your way somewhere and you're like, I have no way to get where I'm going? Think that times 10, right? <laughs> like, like the moment your ride is gone in space, you're, you're done, right? Like you're going to freeze to death, you're going to suffocate, or something really bad is going to happen along the way. One way or the other, you're in trouble. And so what we see in this film is... Um, the, the, the George Clooney character and the Sandra Bullock character trying to get back to Earth. And they, they, it's a little weird that they do this, but they travel from space station to space station looking for a way home, you know, looking for an escape pod to take back to Earth. And, and this clip we're going to watch, um, Sandra Bullock is now by herself. I'm spoiling. I'm sorry. George Clooney got back to Earth, but he didn't get back the right way. Um, <laughs> sorry. We can only hope his career follows suit. Um, <laughs> the, not a fan. Um, so Sandra Bullock is, has made it onto a capsule and is, is heading for Earth. And that's where we're going to pick this up as, as she... See if I'm ready.
Um, all right, not a lot of dialogue. Um, I, I, I picked this clip to like make a very specific point. Um, if she had gone without the capsule, how would it have turned out? Like pretty bad, right? Like like in 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 just the spacesuit, you know, it, it it ain't happening, right? Like if she had tried to enter the Earth's atmosphere, it would have been it would have been an absolute disaster. And if she, if she stays where she is, she's not going to live more than a few hours, right? I mean, she is absolutely as stuck as as completely stranded as she's going to get. And and you know, the pathway back to Earth is not under her own power; it's in a borrowed. Chinese made, honestly, so it's even worse um, <laughs> spacecraft to get back. Um, and so, a- as we go into this, um, I picked this to, to talk about the Red Sea um, and the crossing of the Red Sea, and eventually about Easter for a very specific reason. And we're gonna—I have to do a couple of, of quick explanation things, right, before we dive into the, the specifics here. But um, we're going to be looking at something called typology today, right, and types. Types is derived from a Greek word, tupos, which means to make an imprint in clay. I'm not drinking anything. Leave me alone. Um, and, and, and it literally, like a, a pot maker, a, a ceramics maker, would take a, his stamp and he would stamp in clay that he was working with to, to designate that's where it came from. And Paul takes that word and he uses it to describe how Jesus showing up, like God literally stepping into our world as one of us, and, and living this perfect life and dying for our sins, how that imprints everything in history, right? It's like a pond. If you throw a rock in a pond, we don't have many of them in Montana, but a puddle, um, <laughs> you, you see ripples come out, right? Like Jesus' um, life and death were so significant that it, it resonates, it ripples into all of history. And typology, when we read the Bible, we see foreshadowing, we see predictions of Jesus' life, this imprint that's made by the things he does. Um, it's, it's God telling us what's coming um, before it gets there. Now, as we look at the Exodus, for the Jews, like Jewish people, ancient world especially, the Exodus is as big a deal as it's going to get, right? Like, like it, they would sit and talk about it. Most of their songs included references to it. For the Jews, like, the Exodus is the defining moment in all of their history. Everything about them is shaped by the Exodus, and particularly the Red Sea. For, for Christians, like we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, we celebrate Easter, we celebrate Jesus coming on Christmas. The crossing of the Red Sea is in the same category for, for the Jewish faith. Everybody with me? Like to offer you a little perspective, like all over the Bible, all over the Old Testament, the Red Sea is mentioned. Because um, when we look at exactly what was going on, God delivers them from certain death. And then actually it's their lineage. So their great, 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 great grandchildren um, are only there because these guys got to, got to survive slavery in Egypt. Everybody with me? Um, and so as we look at it, um, this is a really big deal to the Jewish people. Um, the final thing is uh, Jewish literature is loaded with symbolism. Okay. Um, loaded with it. And so as you read, there's this two levels you got to read at. you got to read what would a Jewish person understand, right? And also what's the story telling us. And so um, the one big thing, and I mentioned this last week, water for Jewish people, like, always represents death, right? Like, if you're out in the middle of the ocean and you step out of the boat, what's going to happen? You're going to drown, right? <laughs> 
Like, you, you're going to sink, and you're going to drown, and that's it. And for the Jewish people, when they talk about, like, storms in, on the sea, or they talk about um, um, going underwater, it, it's, it's associated with death and chaos, specifically. Um, and so as we look at that, that's a huge deal as we go into this story. Now, we're not going to read the whole Exodus, because it's a really long book, and I, I'm, you know, we don't have time. Um, but we're going to start in at chapter 14. Um, the, the 12 plagues have happened. Egypt is completely wrecked. And the um, Jewish people, like the, the Egyptians, want the Jews to leave so badly that the Jews go door to door on the way out of town and they say, hey, we're leaving. Do you owe us anything? And people give them jewelry and their gold and their, and their expensive stuff just saying, hey, just get out. You know? <laughs> It's like the worst house guest ever. Like if you have somebody over and you're like, just please leave. I'll give you our, our, our plates. You know, just get out. <laughs> Here's my wedding ring. Just get out of my house. Um, you know, it, it, I wouldn't give my wedding ring away. Um, <laughs> so they're, they're on their way out. They leave Egypt. And um, we pick it up. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Peharoth. Peharoth. My uh, Hebrew is terrible. Uh, John could do this better, but he's not up here. Um, between Migdal and the sea, you shall camp in front of Baal Zephon, um, opposite it by the sea. How bad was it? Pretty bad. <laughs> um, now we're going to hit pause here. Um, all three of these names have meaning. Pi Heroth um, means place of liberty, right? So they're past this point, and God says, oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, hold on. Head back over there, camp by the Red Sea in this place, which is the place of liberty. I want you to like camp in the place of liberty. These guys had been slaves for about 500, or 250 years. They'd been living in Egypt for about 500. Um, so they had been slaves for a really long time. They've just gotten out of slavery, and so where do they camp? The place of liberty. Why? Because liberty is important, right? Liberty is sort of the antithesis of slavery. Um, we keep going. Migdal means a tower or a fortress. Um, in Hebrew literature, or in Hebrew understanding, when you see a tower or a fortress, it means protection, right? Like, if, if there are guys out there trying to get me, and I'm in a castle, and I'm up at the top of the tower in the castle, you ain't doing nothing to get me, right? And if you try, I can dump stuff on you and, and fight you off really easy, because you've got to climb to get to me. Um, so towers signified strength and safety. And so he says, listen, go between the place of safety and the sea, right, and the place of liberty where I'm sending you. Um, and the final thing, um, Baal Zephon, which means Lord of the North. Now, the word north is sometimes used to refer to vengeance, right? Or um, judgment. Um, and so, like, he says, listen, the Lord of judgment is going to take care of you here. Everybody with me? So God is setting up a whole story just by using the town names, um, which we would normally miss because I don't speak Hebrew, right? Anybody here? Hey, I could have lied to you about my pronunciation, and only John would have known. Um, <laughs> and so, like, like, the story begins to set this up. Um, you're going to be protected. You're going to be um, in a place of liberty, and the God of judgment is going to come to your aid. Um, so they're there. They're camped out. And God says, listen, for the Pharaoh will say to the sons of Israel, they are want, say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and, I, and he will chase after him, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. All right. So God warns him. He says, listen, the Pharaoh's coming. 
right? He's going to see you out in the wilderness. He's going to see you heading in one direction, turning around and camping by the Red Sea, and the Pharaoh's going to come out after you, right? And I'm going to do this on purpose because we're going to prove a point here. Everybody with me? Um, there's a hard line in here. Um, God will harden Pharaoh's heart. Um, there's a whole theological discussion. If you really want to ask me about it in depth, I can talk to you later. Um, the general idea is God backs up and lets Pharaoh do what he wants, right? Because sometimes God will keep you from doing something stupid. In this case, God just backs up and says, do what you're going to do, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was kind of a jerk, and so he did the worst thing possible, and actually the dumbest thing, and we'll get into that. Um, so we keep going. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, uh, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, what is this we have done? We have let Israel go from serving us. Now, if you had you know, half a million people who were doing work for you and you didn't have to pay them, and all of a sudden that workforce is gone, that's a problem. He said, wait, why did we let these guys go? Plus, they wrecked our country. We should go out and show them what for, right? And so Pharaoh starts getting dumb. Um, So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him, and he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. Now, at the time, um, Egypt was sort of like a military power on par with us compared to everyone else, right? If you read the inscriptions from the era, Egypt, they went out and just kicked the backsides of everybody who was around them. And, and there's this whole long history of like, and then we fought these guys, and we beat the tar out of them, and then we fought these guys, and they ran away, and then we fought these guys. So like him getting the army out, these are like chariots. It's like saying, well, we're going to get the tanks out, and we're going to go after those guys. I mean, they're going out like, like loaded for bear, because 500 chariots is a lot, and all the other extra ones, you know, he says, we're going to go out and fight. So he mobilizes the army to go out and take care of these, these Israelites. Um, And the Pharaoh drew near, and the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not the word that that we have spoken to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we might serve the Egyptians? For it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the wilderness. So we start seeing the heart of the people here. Has anybody been there, by the way, where you were like, like you've watched God take care of you more than once, and then all of a sudden you're in a spot where you look around and you're like, Uh, great, now now we're in trouble. You know, nobody's helping us now. It's just going to get worse. You know, or, or you got some big nasty thing looming and all you can think is, there's no way out of this. I'm going to get crushed. Is that just me? Really? <laughs> and so the, the Israelites, having watched plague after plague and miracles and all kinds of other crazy stuff, been released from slavery, they're standing out there with the Red Sea at their back. By the way, what's the problem with having a sea at your back? You have nowhere to go. God moves them into a place where they have no choice but to stay because you can't run across a sea. And they don't have boats. I mean, they've been wandering around in the desert. they got nothing. God puts them in a place where they have no choice. They cannot escape. And they rely on him or nothing. And their first response is, well, great. We're going to die. That's it. We're all dead. Um, But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by me and see the salvation of the 
of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. He includes the, shut your mouths, God's going to take care of us. Everybody with me? Like their, their first line is complaining, and he says, wait, there's nowhere to run. God put us here. We're safe. We're in the tower, right? God is going to protect us. It's, it's, it's happened before, and it's going to happen now. And then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch your hand over the sea and divide it. With the sons of Israel, and the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and his armies, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord and I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and through his horsemen. So he has Moses stand up, raise the staff, and the sea parts. Right? Um, so the, they had no way to get out. They're stranded in space, let's say, right? And God provides an escape. And it's God's escape, right? Like, these, Moses ain't doing this on his own, right? Like, he's not going to stand there and raise up his arms and, you know, if God's not with him, he, he ain't doing it. God literally parts the water. Now, the symbolism, remember, um, water is death. They literally were backed up to death's door. And they had an enemy, which was death personified, coming for them. And they're squished between them. And they say, well, what are we going to do? And God opens an escape route. And he opens it through death. Um, So Moses parts the sea, or God parts the sea through Moses. And the angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud moved before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. So there was a cloud along with the darkness, and yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. Now, they've been walking in the desert, and what God did was he sent, at night, he sent a big pillar of fire. So they're walking, and there's this giant pillar of fire, and they followed it, right? It was like the first GPS. You know, follow the dot. Um, <laughs> then during the day, the fire became a giant pillar of smoke, right? And so they're standing there. Pillar of smoke's still there. The sea cross it parts, and the cloud goes out, but it also goes behind them and blocks the way. So the Egyptians are hanging out, watching, and they got this cloud preventing them from going forward. Um, eventually, the cloud backs up, and the Egyptians go charging down into the water because that seemed like a good idea. Um, but have you ever gotten mad and dived into something dumb? And afterwards you thought, maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Perfect example. Um, then Moses stretched his hand out over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. And the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up pursuit, and all the Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after him into the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and he made them to drive with difficulty. Um, So the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians." And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, 
so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over the chariots, over their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak, while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Um, with the Lord, then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Um, so the Egyptians chase him in. The Israelites cross to the other side. He turns around, raises his hands, and the water falls back in. And what happens to the Egyptians? They drown, right? Like all these guys in their armor and everything else. And, and I mean, they are, they're dead. I mean, like, that's it. For the Egyptians, this is a huge deal, by the way. Because for Egyptians, you had to be buried in Egypt and you had to be mummified in order to go to heaven, right? And so the fact that he drowned all of the Egyptians, that he drowned the Pharaoh, um, that he drowned the army, like all of them, these are people who didn't, like, like literally, according to Egyptian belief, it was like God spitting in their eye, right? Like, not only do you lose, but you lose in a way that means that you're gone forever. There is no winning for you. Um, God literally stepped in and fought for his own people, um, which is something that's said over and over again in this passage. And later on, we hear it over and over again. Moses raises his hand and God parts the sea, right? It's not that Moses did it. It's that God did it. Um, so the, the, the Israelites love this passage. The Jews love this passage. They study it. They sing about it. They, they talk about it. Um, when we get into the New Testament, we, are, we start seeing all of this stuff flesh out in a very different way. First off, God provides a way through death for the, for the, uh, the Israelites, right? Like he provides a way through, through destruction. Um, this week is, is near and up on Easter, right? When we get to Easter and we celebrate literally God coming into this world, God stepping in as one of us, and himself, himself fighting for us on our behalf. Well, who did he fight? We don't see Jesus like out, you know, doing action hero stuff. No, Jesus takes on death. He goes to the cross. He dies in our place. And God provides a way through death. Because every one of us is, is not going to live forever. Everybody with me? I know it's a startling realization for some of you, but, but the mortality rate in the world right now, 100%. Um, you can exercise, you can eat healthy, you can do anything you want, and guess what? You're still going to die, right? I had a guy say that to me. I, I was very fit several years ago. I know it's hard to believe, but I was out cycling and he drove by me. And uh, the next day I said, he said, oh, I saw you out riding. And I was like, yeah, I, you know, riding home from work. And he's like, Think about that. All that time and energy you put into exercising, and you're going to die anyway. <laughs> hey, you're right. <laughs> Just kind of a jerk. Um, <laughs> every one of us wakes up and looks in the mirror, right? And sometimes we look in the mirror, and all of a sudden there are new wrinkles. There's almost nothing you can do about it. And even if you do something about it, you're still getting old, right? You might wake up in the morning and look down at your feet and say, man, my feet look old. <laughs> Sorry. That's an inside joke, I think. Um, <laughs> um, because you're going to get old. Because you're going to pass. Because the world is built that way. You weren't designed to die, but we're all gonna. And what's even worse is that all of us carry sin. Is there anybody here who does not have sin? Because you, you actually get the day off then. Because you, you know, <laughs> We carry sin and we all have to pay for it. We have that stuff that we think about late at night that we're ashamed of, and we're all going to have to pay for it. We're all going to have to answer to God for it. Um, and it's like being backed up to the sea, right? There's nowhere to go, but you've got to go through it. 
Um, what God provides on Easter is a way through, a passageway through that escape capsule. And it didn't look like a fun ride, right? But it was the only way. Jesus is the only way for us to survive death. It is the only way for us to, to get past our sin. God protects us the way he protected the Israelites. Um, at the Red Sea, God destroyed the power of the Egyptians. Like I said, they were a world power up until that point. If you read the inscriptions, there's a conspicuous lack of domination militarily after that. And in fact, actually, if we read history, based on like sort of the old version, like where the early date of the Exodus, um, Egypt was very shortly thereafter sacked by an opposing nation where like an opposing country literally marches in and destroys the country about a month afterwards. And the Bible talks about that, where the Jews run into these guys on their way to Egypt, and they're like, well, we'll go around. You know, we're going to fight you guys. And, and this opposing army just walks right into the former toughest country in the whole world and destroys it. Because they could. Because there was no army to stop them. Because they all drowned. Um, God destroys the power of the Egyptians. What God destroys for us at the cross, when Jesus goes to the cross, when he dies for our sins, he destroys the power of, of Satan first off, right? We, we don't always talk about him. But in reality, there is evil in this world, and that evil don't like you much. And that evil would rather you not stand with God. The power of the accuser, the power of, of, of evil is broken. And ultimately, the power of sin over you is broken. Some of us live in worlds or live lives where we're dominated by our sin, where our temper or our lust or our want to drink or our whatever just controls us, our angry thoughts or, or what have you. These things control us. In Christ, that's broken. Um, at the cross, God nails that down and it's gone. Sin has no power over anybody in this room if you are in Christ. Everybody with me still? Um, nobody responded. That's a bad sign. Um, <laughs> um, 1422, the water becomes like walls. What are walls for? Well, they protect us, right? Like I got walls on my house. What do those walls do? They keep rain out, right? They keep wild dogs. I know that Big Sandy, the wild dogs aren't real tough, but there are a lot of them. <laughs> they, <laughs> it keeps them out of my living room, right? That's right. Um, <laughs> we, we have walls to keep us safe. Ultimately, these walls protected the Israelites. They walked right through it, and they were protected by it. In, in Christ, we're protected from death. We're protected from the consequence of our sin. Um, in Hebrews 11.29, uh, it says, uh, like this is maybe Paul or Luke wrote Hebrews. We're not exactly sure. Um, but the author of Hebrews says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through on dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Um, one of the one of the um, one of the things that we find here is they didn't do it because they did it themselves, right? They did it because they trusted that God would save them. I mean, I'm guessing it took quite a bit of courage to step out between the water. I mean, how often do you see a Red Sea part or an ocean or anything? Um, these guys stepped out into a really dangerous spot and were safe. Uh, when Jess and I were in Costa Rica, we uh, rode on a zip line between two mountains, like between a mountain and a volcano, actually. Um, and you are way up in the air, and you literally, I mean, you just zip right across between these two mountains. And the whole way, you're hanging from, like, a strap around your waist and a wire. The first time I did it, I don't know about you, Jess, the first time I did it, there was a part of me that said, what if something goes wrong? 
And ultimately, I had to take faith that the wire was going to hold me and the strap was going to hold me and that I was going to end up on the other side. There was a step of faith that these guys took. It wasn't faith in themselves. It wasn't faith in anything except for God, like that God was going to protect them. When we trust in Christ to protect us, we're literally doing it in faith. Um, It is faith that takes us through it, not our works, not our efforts, not how much money we give, not how good we are at certain things or how good-looking we are when we die. It's faith in Christ that protects us, that saves us when we go into it. Um, Ephesians kind of explains this. Even when we are dead in our transgressions, um, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, uh, we have been saved and raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The idea here is they passed through death and they came out alive on the other side. In Christ, we're buried with him. We pass through death with him. We die to our old self and we become a new creation. Um, I know we're running a touch long. Um, um, sorry. Uh, finally, and, and as we prepare this morning, this is actually a communion Sunday. Um, and so we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper, and I'm going to call my guys forward for that, and whoever's doing music for um, communion this morning, Rebecca. Um, <laughs> um, but we're going to, you can come on forward, folks. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 4. Um, for I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea in, and all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And that, was Christ, or, and that rock was Christ. Um, what he's talking about here, right? He's saying, listen, um, when we're baptized, most of y'all have been baptized, right? If you haven't been and you believe in Jesus, it's one of those things that's sort of commanded, so I'd suggest you consider it. Talk to me about it. Um, when we're baptized, it's like we're being buried in Jesus. We're being buried dead from our old life, and it symbolizes us coming out the other side alive. We see slaves go into the Red Sea, and we see free men who belong to God come out the other side. Um, when we celebrate communion, what we celebrate is The body of Christ broken for us. The blood of Christ shed for us. Um, We celebrate God's provision, God's safety through the the death that we face. And so we we practice open communion here. Um, You don't have to be a member of our church. You just have to be somebody who believes in Jesus. Somebody who has faith that Christ died for you. and so we invite everybody who's present to take if you, if you believe in Jesus. Um, as we celebrate communion, um, we remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed um, that he broke bread and he handed it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body. Broken for you. Broken that you can come out of the dark, awful places in space alive and protected. Broken because of God's love for you.